0: First thing I have on my notes today is a question, and the question is, why do we do this every Sunday? But I'm going to slightly modify that based upon what I was asked this morning. Matthew Carnes is doing an internship with the church here this summer, and so he met this morning early, and we were talking about how that, uh, you know, I put together notes and sermon and that kind of thing, and he said, how do you keep your focus each Sunday? You've been doing this for a long time. How do you not let this become mundane? And that's a great question for a guy who wants to serve God and be involved in the local church, is how do we do this where it doesn't just become mundane? And my answer to him was, you have to be in the Word. You have to allow God's Word to just transform our hearts. And that was my response, Was absolutely true. But I think you have to back up one step and 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 to answer the question that I had originally had on my notes is why do we do this it's because God is worthy plain and simple we we sang about it the entire service so far that God is worthy and if we truly truly believe that God is worthy then it changes the way that we live our lives and it changes our focus our passions why we do what we do and and so as we focus on God and his greatness and his supremacy Then, out of that, we see that coming together, God loves us. He commanded us to do this. He loves for us to do this. He loves the praise of his people. But it's also more than that, too, that he wants us to grow, to continue to grow, to be more and more like Jesus. And we do that by hearing God's word preached, read, we're in his word, and we become more and more like Jesus. Because the truth is, Any one of these three enemies that Scripture says is coming against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil, any one of those three is more than enough to derail us at any point. Our flesh, we can derail ourselves. We believe Satan is real and his demons are real. And there's a bigger battle going on. And this world, as was mentioned earlier, is definitely moving moving more and more against Christians and against our faith. And so there's a lot going against us. And so we must continue to grow Motivating one another, scripture says, praying for one another, confessing our sins to one another, so that we can continue to grow to be more and more like Jesus in this world. My brother posted a picture online last week, and uh, my mother in law actually showed it to us because we're not on Facebook. And I commented to Michelle, I said, Wow, my brother really has my dad's eyes. He really has my dad's eyes. And it's really no surprise to us because. We know that strong family resemblance is a very normal thing. You look at these pictures, and maybe it's not quite as um, clear in your family that you think, but you look at examples of parents or grandparents and their children or grandchildren, and there's just this remarkable family resemblance that exists between people. And these were people roughly the same age um, during the times that these pictures were taken. And so you see that we're like, uh, like it shouldn't be really that surprising, we're, we look like our biological parents and grandparents. And the same is true spiritually. For God's spiritual family, God has adopted us into his family, and as his sons and daughters, we take on more and more characteristics and traits of God. And so in this gospel, we've seen that John has mentioned over and over again that, God, that Jesus is one with the Father, Yet he's a member of the triune God that he took on flesh to dwell among us. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. So we know that Jesus is God. But However, a few passages in Scripture actually refer to Jesus as our brother. And when two people have the same father and part of the same family, they carry the same DNA or similar DNA, and they inherit these traits and the rights of the family. And so it should be no surprise that as Jesus has said over and over again that God is his father, if God is our father, then Jesus is our brother and that we're looking more and more like the family. And just like in your earthly family, you may look, kids, you may look at your parents and be like, I don't see the resemblance there. I don't think I look like them. And maybe parents, you look at your child and don't see the resemblance. But other people notice that. You're with them every day. Other people see that. And the same is true in our relationship with God. The more that we become like Christ, sometimes we don't notice it because of the incremental changes that are taking place but other people begin to see a difference. They see that family resemblance that exists in our life. So we shouldn't be surprised when other people notice you have your father's eyes. You're looking more and more like your brother Jesus. The, the Jewish people, as we've seen in this dialogue that's going on in John 8, they're very proud of their heritage, the fact that they're children of Abraham that they have this lineage with Abraham, they're part of Abraham's family, they're Jews, and so they're very, very proud of that fact, but they no longer have their father's eyes. They no longer look like their father Abraham, nor God the Father, and they have zero interest whatsoever of being in brotherhood with Jesus. They reject spiritual birth, and Jesus is going to tell them today in this text what his family, what family they truly belong to, they actually belong to, and the fact that they think they can claim some sort of genetic heritage does nothing to show that they're anything like their heavenly father or like him. So we're back in John chapter last week, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, they don't like that because they think they are free, verse 33. They answer him, we are all spring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you would say, we will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So there it is, you're not free. Anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So let's pray, and uh, deacons, guys, can you flip the first, yeah, thank you, the first light on, yeah, dim that light too, also, I think uh, everybody like, oh, whoa, whoa, yeah, there we go, how's Does that? that better, you can see your Bibles now, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word that gives us life and truth, God, I thank you that uh, you are here, you're using your word to speak to us, speak to our hearts, to make us where we're not just going through the motions. And God, help us to learn from the text today that it's very, we're very capable, like the Jewish people, of just going through the motions and thinking that they had an inside scoop on the things of you because they knew the information and they had your word, but the truth is they didn't know you. And God, I pray that you will allow us to uh, just build our relationship in you based upon our faith in you and our trust in your word. And God, help us to respond in obedience. Thank you for the work you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus never questioned Israel's position as God's chosen people. Now, for some people, that seems unfair. Why would God choose one group of people, ethnic people, over another? Jesus never questions that. But what he does say is the fact that they are children of Abraham doesn't automatically make them sons and daughters of God. So you can be physical descendants, he's saying, but you're not necessarily a spiritual descendant. So Jesus says in verse 34, anyone who practices sin, they're a slave to sin. And his point here, in verse 35, is he says that slaves can be put out of the house, right? They don't have a permanent position in the house. So he's telling them, in verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if you're a child, if you're a son or a daughter, you remain. If you're a slave to sin, then you're not part of his family, Jesus is saying. You're not part of God's family. And so that doesn't entitle you to anything. So yes, they were physical descendants, but now that Jesus had arrived, they must trust Jesus. And God was providing salvation. He was providing his Messiah. He was providing freedom from sin through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 36. So if the Son, Jesus says about himself, if the Son, me, Jesus says, set you free, you will be free indeed. So get the picture historically here. He's saying to them, he's saying, it's about me. It's about faith in me. It's always been about faith. And it's always been about Jesus. The Bible's unmistakable message is that the way of salvation has always been through faith. In the Old Testament, it was faith in the promise that God would one day provide a Savior and that Jesus had arrived and now they must place their faith in Him. So it's always been about faith. It's always been about God saying, you need to believe. And as a result of that belief, then you will respond accordingly Romans 4:3 Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness so it's always been about faith and it's always been about Jesus God had arrived in the form of Jesus they mocked him they insulted him and ultimately they killed him because they did not know God they put their faith they put their trust in the fact that they were keeping the law and they thought that was their ticket for salvation Jesus was all for the law Jesus, as we're going to see in a minute, kept the law perfectly. He, he never sinned. He, he kept it completely because God's law is perfect, but the law was never intended to save anyone. The purpose of the law was to make people conscious of their sin. And so the religious leaders had become great in majoring in the minors. They could take all the fine points of the law and major and focus in on these rituals, These things that you're supposed to do, your ethnic identity, their food taboos, and even the temple itself, they focused in on these. They paid their tithes meticulously. They read their scriptures, and they did many things the law required. And Jesus actually commended them for these actions. He said, these things you ought to have done. So he's saying, you did these things. These should be done. However, the things that were so important to them reveal how out of order their priorities were. They put all this focus on things like Sabbath day. God gave a, a law in the Old Testament for the Jewish people. He said, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't work on the Sabbath day. What do the Jewish people do? They created 39 subcategories for keeping the Sabbath. And in those 39 categories, they created even more subcategories to how to keep the Sabbath. And they had focused in so many things on keeping the Sabbath. They literally had thousands of rules. God had one. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, don't work on the Sabbath day. They created thousands of rules such as how many steps you can take and how many letters you can write on the Sabbath. R.C. Sproul says this, he says, Their over-focus on the lesser matters served as a cloak to cover up their refusal to obey the weightier matters of justice and mercy. They focused on the wrong things and they missed the Messiah completely. Another scholar puts it this way. Israel was trusting in her ancestral religious symbols. Jesus was claiming to speak for the reality to which those symbols pointed and showed that by her concentration on them, Israel had turned inward upon herself and was being not only disobedient, but dangerously disobedient to the God-given vision that she should be the light of Of the world. And so the people were so invested in meticulously keeping these little laws, they missed the big point of the law, they missed the heart of the law completely. And we see this, they, they totally lost the what God had called them to be, which was a light for the world. In fact, do you remember when we looked at the passage of Jesus cleansing the temple? He went into the temple. In this area, which you may not remember this, the area where the Jews had set up and were uh, selling the sacrifices to people, robbing people, cheating people, this was in an area called the Court of the Gentiles. And it was the only area of the temple where the Gentiles were allowed to go and to worship God. So those who had converted to Judaism, they could go to this area and worship. So the only area that they had, the Jews move into this area and begin to cheat And take advantage of people. And in Mark chapter 11, Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. So they lost their way. The Jewish nation no longer had their father's eyes. They no longer looked like their dad. They didn't look like Father Abraham, and they didn't look like God, and they turned inwardly focused rather than focusing in on what God had called them to do. So not only do they reject Jesus, the Messiah, but they want to kill him. verse 37, Jesus says, I know you're all spring from Abraham. All right, I get that. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. My word finds no place in you. Have you ever talked to someone, a relative, a friend who they were so wrong about something, you knew like they were just completely off on it? And they were so wrong, but no matter amount of logic or trying to convince them or showing them facts would change their opinion. They were just set in their ways. That this is right, and uh, you're wrong. All right, have you ever dealt with somebody like that? It's it, you know they dig in, and, and that's kind of the situation we have here. I remember a situation back in high school, back in way back. I don't know what year this is. A few of you will remember the year Air Jordans first came out, Nike Air Jordans. I think I'm, I'm guessing like 85, 86. And those were like a, the super popular shoe, not just for basketball, but for everything. Everybody wanted Air Jordans. And if I remember correctly, they were like the only basketball shoe that kind of had hit three digits that was $100 or more. And so this was like a whole new area for basketball shoes. And, of course, you know, us kids, we want Air Jordans, and people were getting Air Jordans. But my friend, he um, came one day to, to school or to, to the playground or something, and he said, his name was Joey, and he said, Hey, look at my shoes! I got, and I looked, and immediately I, I knew they weren't Air Jordans. They were a cheap knockoff. And he's like, "I got these for like twenty bucks, and they, they're just as good. They look just like it, don't they? They're called Air Gordons, but you can't really see Gordon. It's Air Jordan. It looks like Air Jordan. They're just as good. And this is this, you know, it's dumb wasting your money hundred dollars. And at the point, you know, you look at these shoes. And you know, they're they're super cheap, and they're gonna fall apart quickly. And they don't look nothing like Air Jordans." But, you know, I'm not going to argue with him or say anything because he is convinced that. All I do is wait and see what happens, right? And so give it a few weeks. He's on the playground playing, and the sole of these shoes rip right off the bottom because they're a cheap knockoff. And so he was so convinced that they were right, and you just have to say, you know, I'm not going to argue with you. Just let time play out, and you'll see that they're not the real thing. All right, so Jesus in this conversation, they're so convinced, and they keep bringing up Abraham, and Jesus he keeps planting this like, the seed that, okay, I'm going to tell you who your real father is in a second, but I'm going to just kind of make you wait on that because I'm going to drop that bomb on you, and you're going to see. And Jesus knows that they're so off base, but he's going to just share that at the right minute because their argument is going to completely fall apart. So they think they're so, you know, we're all spring of Abraham, and he's like, no, you're, you're not because you're, you're wanting to kill me. You want to get rid of me. So Abraham wasn't their father. In fact, it couldn't be more opposite. Abraham loved God. Here Jesus is in front of them, and they want to kill God. The Jews were acting like uh, that, that, that he was their spiritual father, and Jesus is going to tell them who their real father actually is here in just a minute. So let's pick back up in verse 38. I speak of what I have seen with my father. He's saying, I've got firsthand information. And you do what you have heard from your father, all right? So watch this language as he talks. He keeps pointing to this. They answer him again, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you want to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. So Jesus just simply explained it to him. He said, you're nowhere like your father. Abraham worshipped God. He loved God. You're trying to kill God. You're threatening to kill God. The real characteristics of your real father are showing. And he's saying that your father is the one who is defined as the guy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And you're showing yourself to be just like that because you're wanting to kill me. You're wanting to destroy me. So that's their father. And he's going to drop that in just a second on them. And the Jews don't like the way this conversation's headed. They they don't like where this is going. Jesus, obviously, you can't debate with Jesus. You can't win with Jesus. And so what do they do? Just like us today, if you watch debates, political debates, what happens when somebody's losing an argument, things aren't going their way, what do they do? They begin to personally insult the other person, say mean things about the other person. That's exactly what the Jewish people turn to here. They turn to personal insults. Look at verse 41, the second half. They say to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. This is not the first time they've done that. We've seen that tactic before. They're basically saying, yeah, you say that Joseph and Mary, yeah, that whole deal, right? Yeah, claiming that you're born of the Son of God. That's just a cover-up for, we know this, that, that what happened there. We know that, that whole story back in Nazareth. We know what took place there. So instead of dealing with the issue here, they turn to insult Jesus. And this exchange just keeps escalating and escal- es- escalating. Look at verse 42 through 44. Jesus sums up everything that he's been saying here and what he's been implying about their father. He's going to come right out and just tell him, here's who your father is. Look, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not in my own accord, but he sent me. Did Jesus just really say that? He just totally, this is like the mic drop moment, right? He could have just at that point, the devil is your father, right? And drop the mic and walk away. I mean, I can't imagine them with their mouths open at this point. And next week we're going to see what they do in response to this. So Satan has these religious people right where he wants them. They think that these lies that they're believing are true. And nothing could be further from the truth. They think that the father of lies, Satan, has fed them that they need to be focused in on themselves, these things that are insignificant in the bigger picture, ignoring the weightier issues of the law, ignoring the truth of God, and ultimately ignoring God himself. So he had them in this comfortable religious belief system where they relied upon their spiritual heritage, and Jesus tells them you couldn't be further from the truth. Now, So much of popular culture tends to paint Jesus as this chill guy, this cool guy. You know, he's like all buddy-buddy with sinners. And he would never kind of really get onto your case or tell you you're wrong. Maybe the hypocrites he would. But everybody else, he's pretty much chill with them. You know, some people paint Jesus like a hippie. But what do you see in Jesus here? And what did you see with him in the temple? You see a man who knew the truth and was willing to stand for the truth, regardless of what it cost. That he stood up and proclaimed the truth, no matter what it cost. And Jesus is a perfect example for us on the fact that we, as Christians, that while we should be generally nice people, right, we should be kind people, we should be generous people, but it sure doesn't mean that we cover up the truth for the sake of being nice, for the sake of getting along. And I think our culture sometimes wants us to feel that way. And look, this is not an easy topic because we all have in our mind things that are popping into our head that's saying, yeah, that's right, you know, we need to be angry about that. We should be angry at this sin or that sin. It's, it's easy to pick out our favorite thing. But what we need to be strong about, first and foremost, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think many of us have bought into this kind of assumption that if we're just nice people, that people will see the gospel and then they'll maybe turn to Jesus. And the and the truth is, we have to be willing, as Tara said in the video, to speak the gospel, to share Christ, because there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus that are nice people that want to get along with people. They're twos on the enneagram. They just you know easygoing, want to be friends with everybody, right? But, but we need to tell people why we believe what we believe. And the truth is, sometimes that means exposing sin. Because, as I said earlier, the purpose of the law was to show that we fall short of God's standard of holiness. And so, at times in relationships, we have to be willing to say, this is wrong. And I'm sure that the response most of the time will be, who are you to tell me something's right or wrong? Or oh, and when you get your life together, then you can tell me what's right or wrong. But sometimes in the grace and humility of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, we have to be willing to confront sin. And so Jesus confronts a very difficult situation. Where he says, your father's the devil. Your father's the devil. Why does Jesus have the right to, to do that? Look at, look at verse 45. Who can say this? But because I tell you the truth, You do not believe me. And then he says, Which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus is the only person who ever lived this life sinless who could claim to be sinless. Only Jesus could utter those words. Only he had these credentials. No person in the world could convict him of a single sin. There was no defect in his character whatsoever. And remember this. When it comes to Jesus keeping the law perfectly, keeping God's commands perfectly. The only reason God can accept you and the only reason that God can accept me and not compromise his righteousness is that Jesus' perfect righteousness has been credited to our moral account. The point is that we know that we fall short of God's glory. That's the whole gospel that we preach, that we need a Savior, we need Jesus, we need his righteousness, because even on our very best day, there's still sin in our hearts, in our minds. Our motives are tainted. And so we need the righteousness of Jesus credited to our accounts. And so if we come into this thing with a works-based earning mentality, we're no different than those Jews who Jesus is confronting that the fact that God's going to be pleased because I have this certain title to my name or this certain association or this certain affiliation, and I do these things, and so therefore God accepts me. The only reason that God accepts us is because of Jesus Christ. In Satan's strategy, the father of lies, he continues to spread his lies that we can hope into our performance and in our efforts to some way be pleasing to him, and it's not going to work. It's a failure. We all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. A couple days ago, in New Morning Mercies, it, was, it said this. It said, sin is your infection, and without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's also your demise. Sin is your infection, and ultimately it's your demise. So Jesus says, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? And that's a great question. If I tell the truth, Jesus is saying this. He's got an audience standing around him. They're hostile. Why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe this? Well, Jesus is going to answer his own question. And this is our our takeaway head application for today. Here's what he says. Look at this, verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not from God. You're not of God. If you're of God, his words resonate. They find a home in your heart. If you're you're seeking to hear from God, if you truly want to know what this life is about and what purpose you're here for and what's going to happen at the end of your life, if you're truly seeking to know these, these answers, Jesus reveals himself to you, and the truth is there, and the truth sets us free. But Satan wants to twist it every so subtly And give us this religious way of living that says, if you do enough or earn enough or make it, you know, just your life is is fairly clean and good and better than the other guy, then you're okay. Don't buy into that religious heresy stuff or that really, you know, extreme way of living life. That's not, you know, that doesn't make sense. Just be a good person. You know, God will be cool with that if there is a God at the end. And Jesus says, nope. He says, whoever is of God, here's The words of God. The reason you don't hear is that you don't know God. You're not of God. And the Jewish people could not hear because they didn't know God. They lost the family resemblance years and years ago. They thought, Abraham's our dad. He's our father. No. And God's not your father. Your father's the devil. And they were so deceived, so wrong, so extreme, and they didn't even realize it. Many can't hear God because God's not their father, plain and simple. The heart application for those who are believers today. The hard application is be who you are. You have those family characteristics coming out in you. As Jeremy quoted that verse earlier today, be imitators of God as dear children, live a life of love. We imitate our father by being a loving person. We're loving him and loving our neighbor as ourselves. I just want you to, to chew on this quote, and it's in the app if you're following along with the app, and allow this, just, just sit on this this week and just think about this. Living as a saint That's who you are, that's who God calls you if you're in Christ, who struggles with sin is profoundly different from living as a sinner who's desperately trying to be a saint. Living as a saint who struggles with sin is profoundly different than living as a sinner who desperately is trying to be a saint. That's a whole message in itself. But I just hope you'll spend some time this week allowing your heart just to kind of marinate on that. And then our hands application today. Our primary war is against the devil, and it's a fight in the in our minds to believe the truth. And here's where it starts with, just admit to God every day that you still need Jesus. Admit to God every day, I still need Jesus. Think back, those who have put your faith in Jesus, think back to the day of your salvation. If you remember When it was, the day it happened. Some of you, you know, you came to a decision along the way. You weren't sure exactly. But think about that process to where you got to your saving moment. You came to the realization at some point that you had to have Jesus. There's no way that you could have eternal life without Jesus. And you placed your faith and trust totally upon him. Apart from anything you do, you say, the way you live, it's all based upon Jesus Christ and you leaned into him with everything that you had, that's belief, and he was your Savior. He became your Savior, your Lord. That's the same way that we live the Christian life. We get up every day, and as Matthew asked, how do we keep doing this? And it's not just Sunday, it's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's every day of the week. We keep our focus on Jesus, and we say, I can't do anything for you today, God, unless Jesus lives through me. And that same faith that brought me to salvation is the same faith that I need today to live for his glory and his honor. And some days it's sky high, so many opportunities to share Jesus and deliver him and make him known. Other days it's days where you're just barely getting one foot in front of the other. You're struggling with life, but it's still about Jesus. And you're still clinging to Jesus and you're still admitting your need for Jesus each and every day. And He gives us everything we need. He promises us for life and godliness. That's how we live the life Jesus has called us to live. Don't bank on your religion. That's what the Jews did. And they were children of the devil, no family resemblance whatsoever. Our family resemblance comes from knowing our Father, being in Him, in Christ and allowing his character just to flow out of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that encourages us, gives us truth, challenges us. God, we want to be wise in the way that we live in this world. And we know that there's so much uh, in our culture that's against you and so many lies to believe. And God, we need wisdom how to deal with our family, our friends, our co-workers, so that we don't come across just militant and... Uh, have our anger unjustly put into the wrong place, God, but help us to truly uh, focus upon you, Jesus, and allow your love to flow through us. Sometimes it's tough, tough love, and it requires us to say things that are difficult. But God, I pray you'll give us wisdom in those moments. Help us to be lights for you. Help us to live for your glory. We thank you in the name of Jesus.